As I said at the beginning, and of course the whole liturgy screams Gaudete, rejoice, because we're getting very close. And in a moment I'm going to read the preface that is part of the Mass today, because I think it, it captures so beautifully the double coming of Christ, the coming uh, of the Christ, the Messiah, at Christmas 2,000 years ago, and the coming of Christ at the end of time. And I'll use the language of the preface because it's beautifully done. But um, there's a, a little biblical nugget here that I want to share with you. And this, of course, gives us another opportunity to appreciate the Scriptures are very big with a lot of mystery, and uh, they're not always very literal. The literal story, anyway, is usually the little story. The big story is how that literal story affects us. But we have a problem in the Scriptures today because Matthew, who wrote before Luke, uh, he shows no sign that Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins. But Luke, who writes some years later, claims that they're cousins. And Mary comes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, while Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And John in Elizabeth leaps for joy when Jesus in Mary comes into the room. You know that story. So clearly they are cousins. But in this story of Matthew, written before Luke, John uh, doesn't seem to know for sure if Jesus is the Messiah. There, there's some incredulity or some questions at, at the very least. Are you the one who is to come, he asks. But what is all this coming about? Well, both the first reading and the gospel make it clear it's about uh, the messianic time. And the messianic time would show us a time when the deaf hear, the mute, uh, the mute speak, the blind see, lepers are cleansed, the dead are brought back to life. And that's what Isaiah says. When that time comes, you'll know that the Messiah has come. And then Jesus is saying to John in the gospel today, who's in prison, that go back, he tells the disciples, who came on behalf of John to question Jesus, are you the one who's to come? So Jesus in response says, you go back to John and tell him this, that the deaf hear, the mute speak, the blind see, uh, lepers are cleansed, and the dead are coming back to life. And then, after he states that, he turns to them, and he says to them, what'd you come out in the desert to see? A reed swaying in the wind? Hmm. Now, <clears throat> I think this gospel is about really an aha moment, an aha moment. We all have them, sometimes every day. You know, I like using YouTube because YouTube can teach you anything. I think it could make me, help me make a rocket to the moon, I think. But when you watch YouTube, uh, when I watch it, I get these aha moments. I'm, I'm not quite sure how something is to be done. And then all of a sudden, one little thing is shown to me and I go, oh, yeah, that's it. And aha moments, they're, they're wonderful because they, they open up our mind and we become very aware and we sometimes discover what we should do. Well, Jesus is naming some aha moments. He sends it back to John that all these miraculous messianic things are happening. But then he asks the people, because he wants to lead them, I think, to the same aha moment. So what'd you come out to see? A reed swaying in the wind? Hmm. Nah. Did you come out to see uh, um, someone in fine garments? And he says, 
those are people that should be in palaces. They're not out here in the desert. Then what did you come out here to see? He asked them. And then, as he reveals again to them that uh, John is, well, he says in his own words, a great prophet. And he's the most important man ever born of a woman up until this moment. And then he reveals to us something about us. And this is where this passage comes alive. He says, as great as John is, and he's the greatest, nobody's been born greater than him. But anyone born into the kingdom is more than him. So little Iris, oh, she's asleep now. Stay asleep. Little Iris is not baptized. And and quite frankly, I say to you, because I, I, I hear Catholics that just go cuckoo over this stuff, but, you know, <clears throat> if it were that Iris were never baptized, <clears throat> and even if she lived 100 years never baptized, and she died on her 100th birthday never baptized, would God save her? A lot of Catholics say, well, no, he couldn't. I say, yes, he will. Uh, God is not like you and me, thank God. God is good and loving all the time. And God doesn't need baptism. We cannot hold over God uh, uh, some of his power. God, I know you'd like to save Iris, but we're not going to baptize her, so you can't save her. How ridiculous is that? God is God. But what baptism is, it's not for God. It's for us. It's for us, and it's, it's an aha moment in spirituality. Iris is not baptized, but she is totally God, totally loved by God. And she won't even remember this baptism because she's too little. So I'm hoping someone is taking some pictures today because later as she grows up in the church and sees other people baptized, you pull out those pictures of her baptism. You say, this is what happened to you, honey. And she'll get it. She'll connect. In fact, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but I have a feeling because the mind is pretty amazing. And I understand that the mind takes in everything. As I look through this church and I see everything, I don't pause and look at any of it, but I'm seeing it all. It's all going into my brain. It's in there now. But if we could take everything in, our minds would explode. It's just too much. So it filters out a lot. I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm going to say something like 85%. It filters it, and only on what we focus and take in intentionally really is there for us. But it doesn't mean those memories aren't in there. So when you show her pictures of her baptism after she sees the baptism in the church, it very well may relate to that memory in her brain that she's never focused on because she was too little to intentionalize it. So it's for her, the baptism. It's for the family. It's for all of us. And even if we don't personally know Iris, we're welcoming another person into the faith today. We're intentionalizing in a very particular way that the opportunity to know Jesus Christ in the Catholic Christian tradition is being given to Iris today. And then, depending on parent, godparent involvement with her, they will help her to come to know Jesus Christ personally. And actually, the way she will come to know Jesus Christ will be through them. She'll come to know their Jesus Christ because that's how it happens. She will watch, she will listen, She'll watch mommy do this, and then she'll learn how to do this. And little by little, she will come to know Jesus the Christ. 
But the moment we baptize her, at least according to Matthew, she's greater than John the Baptist. She's welcomed into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And it's an extraordinary thing to say. Maybe it's hyperbolic. I don't know. But it's a beautiful way of saying baptism brings the opportunity to come to know Jesus and grow in Jesus Christ. And that's why we're in pink shouting out, Gaudete, rejoice, rejoice, because we're getting really close to remember that feast and always we're looking forward to forever in Christ. So I want to read this preface that I think captures it beautifully. After the introduction, it's truly right and just, our duty and salvation, etc., it says this, For he, that's Jesus the Christ, he assumed at his first coming the lowliness of human flesh. And by the way, it's lowly because, well, it gets sick. It leads us into sin sometimes. Uh, it can be very messy. It's, it, it's, it's lowly in a way. He assumed at his first coming the lowliness of human flesh and so fulfilled the design you formed long ago and opened for us the way to eternal salvation. That's through the coming of the Messiah. So that when he comes again in glory at the end of time, in the Segunda Venida, the second coming, when he comes again in glory and majesty, and all is at last made manifest, made fully clear to us, aha, we who watch for that day may inherit the great promise in which now we dare to hope. Advent, it, it, it's, it's strange in one sense, because it's neither here nor there. It's really not celebrating the birth of Christ in the present, but in the past, bringing it to the present. So it's a memory that we celebrate. And we aren't yet there where Christ has come again in the second coming. And as I say all the time, quite frankly, I hope I'm not around when it comes. I can't imagine. Uh, somehow it seems to me that at least in the biblical thought, it, it, it means the end of existence as we know it. But I guess in a flash, maybe we'll all be taken into the glory of God. I guess that's what it means. It's a little bit vague. But what it really means, neither this nor that, but right now, it means that we are ever-present, ever-present and right now uh, in meeting the Christ and allowing the Christ to be fully involved with our hearts. And for me, I say, Christ is never apart from us. Even when we sin, all we do is lose that intentional moment of knowing Christ present with us. And that's the reason why we do things like this, why we raise the name of Jesus Christ, because in doing so, we're opening ourselves right now, in this instant, to a knowledge and awareness of Jesus the Christ in our lives. And quite frankly, I think the more vivid is our faith, the more alive it is, the more that we can connect Christ to everything, to our struggles, to our sorrow, to our own crosses, just as much to his, that we become aware of Christ in our lives. And when that happens, I think the power of Christ, the love of Christ, the grace and blessedness and holiness of Christ touches us and can fill us.